When I met Gun in Jamaica, you know? Yep. When I met Gun in Jamaica, yep. but guess what? Gun is like saltfish. Yeah. <laughs> you understand? Yeah. Yeah. Saltfish don't don't come from Jamaica yeah. either. But it's not hard to get. Yeah. It's a part of our national dish. Yeah. Right? We don't <laughs> have no saltfish in Jamaica. Cod. Salted yes. cod is yeah. imported. Yeah. And so are the guns. Yeah. But the crime is the aki. You know what I mean? The crime we make right here. And we add it. And we make it delicious. Welcome to the What Next Podcast, hosted by Sean Reed, where we pay it forward through conversations. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring person or message to help you on your journey to discover what's next for you. How was the journey going? school originally leaving your friends etc here and then what's the journey coming like coming back all right long story short no man you can just so as you want. i've spent more time because i really had to think through this when you asked me to do this podcast i've spent more time in the u.s than i've ever spent in jamaica like at least i think about two-thirds of my life if not more no about two-thirds of my life i've spent in the states i was born there and we came back here when i was nine my parents are from Jamaica and had a lovely time. Was wonderful. I could have asked for nothing more in life, to tell you the truth. No, yeah. for real. Like I was so happy. People thought it was very unusual. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed my life here. More so than I did in Florida. Um, my childhood, everything. And I'd come here a lot as a child too. So it wasn't like they just brought me here and I was it like, wasn't What jarring. is this foreign land? Yeah. No. I was always here. So I was associated Jamaica with fun, summertime, you know, family, friends, exotic foods like corned beef, you know. <laughs> Learned about condensed milk and water. I was like, this is the best drink ever, you know. So for me, Jamaica was always special. So when my parents were like, we're moving there, I was like, oh, amazing. I could not have co-signed on anything better. Went to college. That was an adjustment because culturally now I was more Jamaican than I was American. Um, but I adjusted and I had most of my friends in college were of Caribbean descent. They were first generation or they themselves were straight from a Caribbean island. Mm-hmm. So we related. I found that I didn't really have a lot of American friends, African, Caribbean. That was mostly my father even commented on it. I was just like, you didn't meet no white people near here. Like... You know, it's like college is the A now. So I was like, where'd all the white? Like, you went to a primarily white school, yeah. and I don't see you close to any of these white people. And I was like, I kind of just stuck to the evil I knew <laughs> or who I was comfortable with. Yeah. Like, it's not like I didn't interact with them. I just didn't get close to them, which probably was my fault, too. But that was my way, I think, of just trying to find home in a it's foreign comfort. place. It was comfort. Exactly. So it's like, these people speak my language. And I understood my sense of humor. Yeah. They eventually understood it. It yeah. took time. <laughs> um, but even that, you know, going through that process and things you take for granted, like you consider yourself feisty but charming, and people are like, you're just rude. And you're like, whoa, I didn't notice. But Jamaicans interact differently. Yeah. Like there's a, rep- you know, uh, we have an appreciation for how we bounce things off of idea. And it can be rude in the outside, yeah. but we're having a really good time with each other. Yeah. Like, you throw me a face to comment, I throw you a face to comment. We're probably friends for life after this. <laughs> it did not work in the States like that. So, as I said, that took some adjusting to stay there for, came back here after mm-hmm. for like a year and a half. And I was working at a breakfast club. 
that was a rude awakening. Okay, as a relationship. <laughs> yeah, just being in the workforce here. Mm-hmm. I had worked over summer. I used to work in the summertime when I'd come back home in the summer. But I think it was difficult for me to, to see like the wages and the amount mm-hmm. of work expected. And then I would compare it to like what my friends in the States were making and what their lifestyles were like. And their ability to be more independent at a younger age, even if they weren't balling out of control, but they could at least move out and, you know, afford certain things. And I was like, I can't move out on this wage. And right, like, it's not even a thing. And I had student loans, you know, so I quickly went back up to the States. (laughs) I was like, I need to figure myself out. And my plan was also to go to law school. It was a tad bit derailed. We eventually got there, 2009. <laughs> the Great Depression, recession, <laughs> got me there faster. I ended up losing my job. I was working in a law firm that did uh, corporate immigration. And the law firm lost a lot of their clients because they were representing companies that disappeared, like Bear Stearns. Yeah. So they lost a lot of their work, and therefore they could not pay the people who worked for them, right? So that changed everything. Ended up coming back here again for like maybe six months or so. This is before or this after is law after. school? So like, no, 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 this is still before law school. Okay. So like 2010. I think I worked at Jam Pro for a little while. Um, but that was temporary. Worked there for a couple months. And then I found myself again in the States. Because I'd applied to law school, but I was waiting to get in. Now, when I was in, um, as I said, in 2010, no, 2009, 2008, I was in New York. And I went to university in Connecticut. So I was always in that area for the most part. New York, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Lived in New Jersey for a little while. They call it the tri-state area, Mm -hmm. right? And then when I went back up to law school... I ended up getting into school in University of Maryland. So I never spent any time in Maryland before, nor did I realize that the law school was situated in Baltimore. That shows you where my mind was at. <laughs> I was like, oh, University of Maryland is in that very lovely area of Maryland. No, not the law school. Yeah. All right, so it was grimy. <laughs> yeah. And it was a big adjustment. It was a huge adjustment because... As my friend said, he said, this looks like New York in the 80s. <laughs> and by that, I mean that there's a huge drug problem there. Mm-hmm. So you'll see people walking around high. So it's a tad bit depressing to see, especially it's a very black city, to see people walking around looking like that. And they had a lot of social ills there. And strangely enough, it reminded me of Jamaica. And that was it. After I became more comforting. Okay. That I appreciated that it was not perfect that the people had their issues and that the city was trying to overcome them but that the people themselves were you know they had a deep history they were when you got to know the residents i don't know they were just really nice people and because they were so near to the south too you know maryland and virginia so a lot of their family came from more southern parts of the country. It was just a very different approach than I'd seen in New York. Like, the black people there are different. You know what yeah. I mean? They have more of a swag to them and the 
people from Maryland and further down just have a different approach with how they speak to the moms and mm-hmm. you know there's something softer to them even though they're city folk you yeah know? and I appreciated that they, they were charming in their own way um I always and I'm gonna say this from undergrad it was always somewhat my dream to move back to Jamaica but even having lived here for that brief bit of time after undergrad I feel like I didn't fit in anymore or that the degree I had I could do more within Jam- in the states than I could in Jamaica what was the degree all right I did a liberal arts degree mm-hmm. in something as abstract as English literature so what do you do with that all right I did not do finance I did not do IT I was not coming out with solid <laughs> skills that you could just apply immediately I would have to be trained in a particular yeah. area so I was trainable but I didn't find that Jamaica had a market to do any training. It was like, go to school for as long as you can and show me what you can do. I'll yeah. start paying you then. Yes. Anything before yes. that, you will be broke and we'll just give you some grunt work to do. Yeah. You seem intelligent enough. So it was discouraging, to say the least. Um, and I felt as though, and I need to stop using this term, women, we all need to stop it. I thought. I didn't feel anything. I thought. <laughs> I keep saying that. Um, Yeah, I just thought that I didn't fit in anywhere here based on my skill set. So that's part of the reason why I ended up going to law school, too, because I was like, okay, if I want to come back to Jamaica, I have to have some kind of profession that I can use there and I can use here. Yeah. Um, So it was a kind of practical decision as well. It wasn't like, this is my dream. You know what I mean? Um, Because I have friends up there that are doing all types of work. That I know there's no scope for here. Yeah. We just don't have the market for it. Yeah. And that's their passion. That's what they're good at. And it's just that it's like with Jamaica, you have to understand that the market only really facilitates a certain type of skill set. Yeah. You know, as far as professionals are concerned. I will say this, that over the years, having gone and come, I'm very impressed with the amount of entrepreneurship I see in Jamaica that I don't necessarily see in the same way in the States amongst my cohort. I think we just go and we work for somebody. And we feel very good about that. I mean, they're well remunerated, you know, like (laughs) they get paid well. You have the security of having your insurance and you have your 401k and... You know what's going to happen every day. You know what I mean? They're going to, they can work for the feds. They can work in private industry. But here, I see more of a hustle in the young people. And I see how they've been able to craft a space for themselves, even if it didn't exist before. Yeah, 100%. And I applaud that. And I've always been impressed with that. Um, I have like one friend in the States that's an entrepreneur. And he does... He was an accountant, but he's gotten into the business world and he's worked with developers. And But it was a struggle for him. You know, I had to move back in with his mom and he came out of the whole Wall Street journey and said he wanted to do something for himself. But yeah. for years, he his life took a huge knock, you know, and that's a sacrifice a lot of people aren't necessarily willing to make. Like he lost his girlfriend, the love of his life. Like this is somebody he wanted to marry, but he was like, I'm not there yet. And she was like, well, I'm there now. Yeah. And she couldn't, she wasn't trying to eat ramen with him every night. You know what <laughs> I mean? Especially because he was coming from having had a job. Right. And he maintained a certain lifestyle and maintained them in a certain lifestyle. And now 
he can't anymore and she couldn't be there for that separation you know so that's interesting yeah that it's it's interesting and i do find in jamaica more persons are willing to take that entrepreneurial journey just because maybe it's because the jobs don't pay well so it's like look, it's worth the risk it's worth the risk it's worth the risk and that's unfortunate because if she stuck it up with him she may have it up way better maybe who knows <laughs> we had always a conversation about it but <laughs> i think everybody's destiny and their timeline are just different yeah, you know she's 100%. a woman he's a man he might have been able to wait longer on things she did not want to right and she didn't i don't think she really could see the end game with that whole thing you know it's just like okay i'm waiting here with you about eating ramen but what is the timeline on this can yeah. you tell me 2019 yeah. this is where i'll be and he couldn't guarantee that's that. how entrepreneurship works exactly and it wasn't like he was working at the same time he was working on his business full time yeah. so he moved back in with his mother and he's almost you know he's in his 30s so it was like that's a sacrifice he made and we spoke about it and i said you know not everybody can take that journey with you because it's it's arduous yeah and you're taking you have the vision but you want the person to also be there with you and i think she was a tad bit more Maybe she had her own thing and she was more, you know, focused on that. She wouldn't have noticed it. But and also, as I said, she's a woman, she's getting older. So there are things <laughs> she had she wanted to do yeah. by a certain time and his timeline was not matching up with it. So yeah. anyway, she moved on. But I mean, I'm proud of him. He's now much closer to where he wants to be. Mm. He moved out, you know, X, Y, and Z, but beyond and besides him. Don't have any other friends in the States who have been that entrepreneurial in spirit. Um, yeah, they just mostly go work with big companies yeah. and they get paid well, as I said, and it's safe. And Safe-ish until the next you know, yeah. depression. But safe enough that even if they save their money and they invest it well, they can survive yeah. it. You know what I mean? Especially the older you get and the further up you go in a company mm -hmm. or the, the more... Uh, superior well senior you are yeah when you get another job you just have to maintain you know you can yeah. get certain wages so but yeah that's something I've always found in Jamaica especially over the years increasingly especially amongst our age group I've come back here and watched people do a lot of amazing things yeah. and I think it's very inspiring and I can only assume that I guess the landscape that we have here also lends itself to it to some extent. I think doing business in Jamaica is way more difficult. Like starting a company, it's, it's difficult, very difficult. But what I think happens with a lot of people is, one, the wages aren't great. So it's like a little bit of my own thing. And then two, a lot of people work for, if you're working at a traditional Wall Street company in the States, you have no idea how the company is run. You're working in your section. Right. Whereas in Jamaica, it's a high possibility that you walk past a CEO once a day right. or once a week. So therefore... You get to see the inner workings. You get to see the inner workings. And therefore you're like, but I can do this too. Like right. the, 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 the thought that you can do this too is, is greater. And so you're not being paid that well and you get an idea of how the company runs. So you try a thing yourself. And other people try... Like, there are so many people who have a bakery company, a juice company, a wine company, a this company that try selling from their cars yeah, or whatever on the have. weekends. Yeah. or And 
this is the positive of Instagram, etc., where you can use your phone, have an entire company so running many. just from your phone. You're so right. And it, you can get a market. You get a market just from your phone. And so it our low wages plus our accessibility to seeing how things work make starting a company, even though it's way more difficult to go to a company's office and this is horrible. But it's like let me try this route. Yeah. And even when you said that that's horrible, I'm like, is it more bureaucratic than in the States? I don't even know. You know? I don't even know. Cause I just see people go down to companies obviously like bam bam. <laughs> I filed my paperwork. I have a company now. Maybe even it's if they're more doing manual. nothing with Maybe it. Maybe it's more manual. Yeah, even if they're not doing anything with it yeah. yet. They're like, you know, it's registered. <laughs> so I don't know. I think it's it's positive and as it says, it shows a resourcefulness. It does, it shows a resourcefulness. So I've always been conflicted about the idea of a lot of Jamaicans leaving mm-hmm. Jamaica. So that's part of the reason why I've also always kind of wanted to come back because I think we do suffer from chronic brain drain. Yeah. And I remember a teacher telling us once that it's like you don't understand that you are the top of Jamaica in terms of education and what Jamaica is going to ultimately have to offer. And this was when we're in sixth form. Yeah. He was explaining to us how many people make it into sixth form or yeah. how many people are going yeah. to sixth form. He was like, you don't don't take that for granted, that yeah. you're the cream of the crop. And everyone's looking around like, damn, this is a cream? <laughs> right? Like, this is what floated up. Jamaica is dismal. But, um, and then you realize that most of those people will fly out and you'll never see them again. Yeah. They'll come back for vacations. They'll come and visit their granny, whatever. But they're not coming back here to live. And I think a part of my desire to come back was to try and figure out, like, how do you make it more desirable yeah. for persons to come back? Or, at the very least, how do you harness what I consider to be almost like solar power? Like, or diaspora is like the sun, right? Yeah. How do you harness that energy? That I don't think it's bad to leave. You know, I don't even think it's bad not to come back. I think that, as I said, Jamaica can only offer you so much. And sometimes we're planted in soil or in a pot that we can only grow so mm-hmm. big in. And sometimes we need a bigger pot. And I think exposure in the U.S., in Europe, wherever people go, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, they bring so much back with them if they do come back. Um or if they send back whatever knowledge they have in whatever way possible, mm-hmm. right? But I think the exposure is important. I think that synergy between what we do here and what we can learn elsewhere is important. So yeah. I would never say, everybody just stay here, don't go anywhere. No. If you can leave, leave. But if you can find your way back and you can do it in a way that's comfortable for you and safe, then I say, why not try, you know? So the other thing is that my parents, as I said, they came back. My grandmother came back. My uncle came back. So I'm, I guess it's unusual, but I'm a part of a family <laughs> that a lot of people, we return. Yeah. We're the returning residents, yeah. you know? So, and I've always understood their mindset, you know, that like they've done what they needed to do in the States. To me, that's where you go and you work. And it's time to come home. If they can come home, yeah. it's time to come home. Um... So I guess I have always been of a similar mindset that like do what you need to do there. I don't know if I was ready to come back yet. I will admit that because I think I would have planned better if it wasn't so abrupt. 
And then again, I don't know. I could have also just been up there thinking about it much longer and not actually executing yeah, it, right. you know. But I also have a cousin. She's my mother's cousin. So she's like, I guess, my second cousin. I don't know. But she's older than me. And when she said she was coming back was when I was floored. Because she's been in the stage since she was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Lived in New York. She was working for the NBA. Doing their communication. Nice. She used to travel to Europe. Because, you know, they have NBA in Europe. Right. Like... To me, living a New York dream yeah. <laughs> for years. And then she just up and announced, like, yeah, I'm leaving. And she said, I've been planning this for 10 years. And I was nice. like, what? Nice. Because I never got that sense from her. She was very, not just metropolitan, but just global in perspective. She traveled everywhere around the world. And yeah, she would come to Jamaica and her mother lives there. But I never saw her as somebody who was just like uh, connected to her home. She needs to go back. And when I asked her, she was like, yeah, the States, it just, you know, it kind of, I seen everything I need to see. I did everything I needed to do. And her mother's getting older. She wants to be here. And she's still having a fabulous time here. I'm sure she's still adjusting, but I think she's found her footing. Um, I don't know. I've seen so many changes over the years since I've left too. Like even mail pack. I'm not really into like buy things online (laughs) and all the new companies that have come out like that. It, changes things you know it bridge the gap yes because a lot of times why we love foreign you know it's just a good because we want to buy things yeah. let's be honest yeah. right you fly out oh yeah the kids you got I, to florida to shop you I did not go there for the cultural experience no exactly i so outside of my wanted to travel for traveling sake to see different parts of mm-hmm. the world my sister brother-in-law mother nieces and nephew live right in the states if they weren't there, I would have no reason to go there. Because as I said, mail pack, ship me, rocket ship, the, the stuff that you used to travel for, I can order it within a week to be here. I'm okay. Right. I, can, I can wait a week. Right. I'll be yeah. good with that. that. That necessity. Yeah. And a lot of those ships are so pragmatic. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you and my mother, we always joke that like, when we were moving, my mother's like, I ran to the stores. Like, <laughs> just buy everything. And I felt that same way when I was there. I was like, I'm moving. Yeah. Just try and get as much as you can. And I'm happy I did do it, yeah. you know, because there is a level of ease with yes. which I can just go in a store and pick up something and find a sale that, you know, I miss. But the lifestyle itself was a tad bit, it can be lonely. Um, and even if you assimilate, it's still never necessarily like your culture. It's not home. No, and you're constantly trying to find home in it. So you'll try and find people who remind you of home or, you know. And I'm just speaking for myself. I know other people might be very different, but, um, and I'm not the type, you know, I will eat whatever the people eat in. Like, you know, I don't need bun and cheese and <laughs> you don't have to send me a chippies in the mail. And if I don't eat stew peas, I feel like I die. I'm not, those Jamaicans. I'm not one of those Jamaicans. <laughs> whatever you're eating, I'm eating yeah. too. It's not that serious for me. Um, but it's still that sense of familiarity yeah. and comfort that you just don't get anywhere else, you know? And I have friends who live there, and because of COVID, I haven't been home in years. And they're like, I'm dying. Yeah. You know what I say? Like, I literally, and I understand what they mean, they come here to breathe. Yeah. And I can't explain that to you. It's like you're holding your breath the whole time up there. You're and on you come here over there. And you exhale. Yeah. And it's not just relaxation. It's, as I said, it's a familiarity. It's still heat how the heat feels it's how the sun feels it's it's everything you know um 
going to the beach with your friends, like just stuff you just don't get there in the same way. Yeah. And you can go to the beach with your friends there, you know, and it's still not the, the same. same. It's just not the same. So it's almost like it's a lifeline. Yeah. Depending on who you are. Because I said some people gone and they That's come it. back. Right. And so, so I guess it just depends on your attachment too. Yeah. I was I've always been very attached. I'm a so. I'm a firm believer. I have a friend, and this is not English, right? I have a friend who says we have foots, not roots. Right? Mm. And it's a real thing. So I genuinely believe in traveling the of world, course. seeing different things. There's so many uh, countries and cultures that we definitely should see, mm-hmm. definitely should go to. Simultaneously, however, there's something we said earlier about get the knowledge, get the experience, and bring it back. Unless you say you physically can't bring it back for various reasons, send it back some way, somehow. I think that... Partnerships. Exactly. People can reach out to businesses doing something similar to them. Invest in those companies. Mentor people. Exactly. And you have Zoom. Mentor them on Zoom. (laughs) I think that so many people leave Jamaica for good reasons or for their own personal reasons there's nothing wrong with that and they don't realize that they could have achieved something here they could have done something here yeah, they could have my thing is in jamaica you would have probably had a better as you said in six round you're the cream of the crop right yeah when you go to america europe asia you will always be a second-class citizen. Yeah. You will. You will never be their cream of the crop. You no, may. Right. You may make more money because you know it's more money, but it's as, not it, your country. At the end a, of the day, as a black man, yeah. I know that when the police stop me, like my, the only time I've ever experienced any discomfort from the police is when I'm in America. Yeah. That's a fact, right? Is it what they project to you, or is it your understanding of what could potentially happen? I, I got stopped. I got stopped once and the police officer said to me, he looked at my license, couldn't find, you know, the date mm-hmm. because it's a different type of license. When he realized it was a Jamaican license, he came back to the car and he said, the cost of tickets is 300 US and I won't give you because you can't afford it. And I would say, thank you very much, sir. I did say that. <laughs> I would have been, I am offended yes. and grateful all simultaneously. <laughs> Uh, but I'm going to go with the grateful for you right now, and I will be offended <laughs> later. later. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so I, I was very grateful, but it's it's that like that right one, that presumption. That presumption. And it's not just a presumption, you know. It's an audaciousness yeah. to think that now I'm going to express what really should yeah. be a filtered thought. Yeah. I understand. And another time, um, it was myself and a few friends driving, and one police stop car stopped us, and within two point four seconds. Five more, it's appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, because we have saw black a car of a car filled with black guys. Exactly. And that would never happen here. Because here I'm considered, oh, is that working class man? No man, this you know, yeah. let's respect him. And it's again, that's just one or a couple of incidents. Yeah, but yeah, the reality yeah. is is that in another person's country I will always be a second class, especially being a black male and I'm a aware black of that. male immigrant. What I will say is that for persons like ourselves, who are considered quote unquote cream of the crop, who had the resources, both social capital mm-hmm. and actual capital, mm-hmm. financial capital, um, I think it's more incumbent on us that we come back. Yeah. 
if we can or that we give back try to build Jamaica. yes because we were the ones that benefited the most from what jamaica had to offer yeah. in certain ways yeah. you know what i mean yeah. so i even see the guys who are or big sports stars when you see them going back to their communities and starting foundations so and important. building boys schools and brand new state of the art and i was like i applaud that because what they're saying is like i got out quote unquote but i will never forget where i came from and i will always try and bring up somebody yeah. with me and it's not just through handouts and i went send a little care package here yeah. i'm going to actually give them opportunities that they can now follow in my footsteps you know whatever Suffering I had to do and links I had to make, I'm going to pass it on to them in a way yeah. that makes it easier for them to navigate something I had to figure out. Yeah. And as I said, I think we don't necessarily always have that passion for Jamaica in that way, but we really should. Like, really this should. very small country. Yeah. We are so proud of internationally. I remember when I went to Milan, I was there for study abroad during um, college and when I spoke about, I was like, I'm from Jamaica. Look here. Star, you know? Yeah. I've had friends go to Greece and they're like, yo, when you mention you're Jamaican, yep. people are like, wow. And yeah. one person was like, we're in Africa. Is that? It doesn't matter. They did not know where we were. But they, <laughs> you know they what I mean? They knew what but Jamaica was. They knew, right? And for some of them, that was the whole Caribbean. Don't mention any other island. They there were know. other island people who were just like, pretend to be Jamaican because we're the ones with the most notoriety. Yeah. They're like, just say Jamaica. Nobody knows. Whatever. You know what I mean? So... We take such pride in how such a small country is so well known. Yeah. And not always for good things, but mostly for good things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, our culture is not just magnificent, because it is. It's also magnetic. It's, you know it's what I mean? powerful. Powerful. So, like, every country I've ever been, I've been to Japan. I was in a dance hall club there. Yeah. I go looking for them, though. But yeah. they're not hard to find in yeah. the middle of Tokyo. Yeah. I'm in Milan. I'm in a dance hall club in the middle of Milan. People love our culture. Every country I've been to, I've seen a, little bit a of Bob Jamaica. Marley picture, reggae music playing, every country. Yeah. I got to college and I was like, damn, I'm the only one here without a Bob Marley poster. <laughs> I was looking every room we went into. I was like... Am I not signifying hard enough that I'm Jamaican? I had to get one. And that's one thing I don't think that we do enough with, which is we don't wear our colors enough. I right? think we should always be. Wear a t-shirt. Get a Shelly. Get a Shelly. Yeah. A Shelly Be like, hello. If you want to do that, fine. Belong into the green, into the black ombre. <laughs> but we, don't, we don't wear our colors. We don't have a shirt that says black, green, and gold. Like, we just... just yeah. It doesn't have to be loud. It comes out for sports events. Yeah, that's You'd be it. surprised though. There are certain sets of yeah. Jamaicans who are constantly, you know who they are. <laughs> Trust me, they'll pull up beside you like, is the flag all over their backseat? Yeah. Yes. They're I, I love that. They I love, love, that. I love And they that. want you to know. Yeah. They have on their mesh marina, it could be two degrees outside. You need to know where them come I from. Love so that. there is a, a set of Jamaicans, especially when you go to different parts of the like New York and different yeah. areas, who they take quite a bit yeah, of pride in being Jamaican. The loudest, fiercest, you know. And I don't even think that we really, you and I, especially uptown, quote-unquote, Jamaicans, 
we're not the jamaicans the world knows no we're not we no, are not. not we no, not. are not you are not making the movies mom and sir yeah you are not singing the music when when, mom and sir. when we speak they're like you're from jamaica oh like, yeah i've heard i'm british <laughs> or i'm trini yeah. because i sound so refined they're like mm -mm. Yeah. i never i've had people who say i have never seen a jamaican like you yeah i said which ones you see they're like mm. <laughs> they love the color bright green yeah you know what i mean yeah. so we are really not who the world sees and interacts with and know they don't know us as jamaicans yeah. you know so i always say we're really the different ones you know true that's we're true. the different ones we're not the ones that are known outside of just ourselves we're just not we're the minority <laughs> we are but i agree we're a powerful minority yeah very. and to the extent that we have they say resources wherewithal if we can give back we should if give we, back we need to give back rather than just going on you know we're proud of shelly we're proud of this person they stay in your own like a zone somewhere up in pembroke pines or whatever and once every <laughs> once a week you open your garage door and everybody's like oh here go the jamaicans being all jamaican is that dominoes they're slamming down dominoes <laughs> and talking about the good old days and playing spraga bins or whatever they're playing right like i have uncles up there you know yeah. what i mean eating them steamed fish once a, the rum punch is constantly in the fridge you know like <laughs> We love being Jamaican and we try and hold on to yeah. that. But as you're right, they said it's like how as how do how do Jamaicans benefit who are yeah. still in Jamaica? Yeah. You know, you look back and you're like, I can never go back there. Yeah. Look at the crime. Yeah. Look at the this, look at the that. Like, can you help? Can you give back? Can you can sponsor you one help? kid to go to school? Can you help? Yeah. You know, like you have to help. You now have access to a very powerful currency. Yeah. And a powerful network. How can you help? And don't see us as a, and I hate, I don't think it's just to make us some charity case. No. No. You don't all need to come here missionaries. Yeah. No. <laughs> right? See us as an investment. Yeah. That is what we are. Yeah. That's what Jamaica is. That's what its people are. That's what everything here is. Everybody else sees us as an investment. Yeah. Right? Then buying up land, left, right, and center. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How much black man have that land? Yeah. How, much, how many Jamaicans have access to all this waterfront and all of this? No, you can barely get in a beach and not pay $1,200. So other people from other countries are buying this. Yeah. Or we are buying our own they countries. They see our potential. Yeah. They see everything that we have to offer here. And we sit down and we're all over. We're in Australia. We're everywhere. We're just like, mm, love Jamaica. Send me some bun and cheese. <laughs> no, come and buy something. Come and set up your own hotel. Get together. Land is here. There's yeah. things to be bought. Invest your, in Jamaica. Your business you can buy here. What? Yeah. Especially now. Yeah. I don't know what's been happening over the last decade, but Jamaica is bright and shiny. People, anybody who comes back for visitation, etc., in the past five years, every someone they come back or every Christmas, they're like, "What is so? That which road is this? Where this building wasn't here last year? It's, it's shoot, crazy. it wasn't there last week, lady. <laughs> no, let's be honest. Everywhere you look is development. Yeah." No, are all the funds um, above board? I don't know. The point is <laughs> that there's development. Correct. And big things are going big on. Big things are going on. Businesses, like... Business I mean, seems to be moving. So, going back to Instagram real quick. You were saying that you're not on it. But I will say that I like to follow news outlets and stuff yeah. on Instagram. And there's this new one. I'll give a plug for it. I don't know the people, but I like it. It's called Our Today. Okay. It's a new... 
fairly new, I think, news outlet out of Jamaica, and they give primarily business-type news. Mm -hmm. You would like it. So what I've found Instagram good and bad for is that you can see, you know, that if you're scrolling through, mm -hmm. you'll see stories that might catch your attention and you can go and read it more. And, you know, so I like the social media for that aspect of yeah. it too, that you can get a lot of information. Mind you, some of us are just reading the sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> but you kind of know what's going on in the world, you know, but I, yeah, when you look at those papers, again, plug, you get a sense that like Jamaica, we're growing. We're growing. We are growing. There's so many opportunities yeah. here for investment. You know what I mean? And people and young people who are just hungry, hungry businessmen, businesswomen. Yeah. When you see it, like they're movers and shakers in Jamaica, yeah. besides Michael Eichin. <laughs> you know, there are other people doing great things, yeah. and they may not, you may not know about it if you're not following what is happening yeah. here. And I think if we do follow what's happening here, you think everybody's being killed. That's what it looks like. Like yeah. sometimes I have to come off of it because of that, you know? Yeah. Cause I'm like, how many stories are we going to see about murder and mayhem in one day? Yeah. It's frightening. Yeah. So I will also admit that if you're someone living in the States or living anywhere abroad and watching Jamaica through that lens and seeing the crime, it's, it's saddening. And then you kind of detach yourself. Like. So then even on that note, how has it been moving back? With the crime thing? Just overall. All right. Let me just start here. I am not coming from sanitary Florida or, you know, whatever utopia people are living in the suburbs mm -hmm. somewhere, wherever they are. God bless them. I was in Baltimore. All right. And when I say it's like Jamaica, it's probably more like Kingston than anywhere else. Small enough that... It's like one degree of separation. People know each other. They're very um, attached to what schools they went to high school. Like, like we have a Casey, like, yeah. have a rivalry that will go. They're in their 80s and they're still attending school events and their rivalries yeah. are real, you know. So I appreciate that. There. But the crime there, I mean, carjackings, home invasions, a lot of gun violence. Um, so I think being here, I don't feel like I'm now paranoid. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And because as a prosecutor, I was very familiar with the level of crime in Baltimore. Whereas maybe the average resident might not have been as acutely aware. I was acutely aware of the numbers. Yeah. I saw how many cases I had. I saw how many cases everybody else had. And that was in the city. You know, I heard the facts. I knew which neighborhoods were being hit constantly and it wasn't necessarily the bad ones, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. I got a sense for, as I said, the social ills that manifested themselves, um, the education system not being quite where it needed to be in the public education system. A lot of, as I said, it's primarily a black community and a lot of them live below the poverty line. You know, way too many. Yeah. So whatever comes with that. So when my friend said it's New York in the 80s, it was a real statement. Mm -hmm. You know, like if anybody knows what New York was like in the 80s, it's progressed by leaps and bounds. You know? But when crack, yeah. you know, held down New York for years and everything that came out of that, like Baltimore is kind of still there mm -hmm. with the cocaine, with the crack, with the um, the use of things like, I'm trying to think, 
it was a lot of antidepressant type medication that they would give to the vets you know what i mean so that they were abusing yeah um just a lot of escapism you know from reality a lot of poverty um and a lot of people who you could tell didn't really see a way out of it like they were trapped in it mentally it, physically was it more male or female both okay both you know when you hear this so being in jamaica just like it feels the same way except with accents you know what i mean like different accents because they have accents too mm -hmm. just another note everybody can take everybody has accents mm -hmm. i love when people meet you oh you have an accent and i say oh, I'll do. you do <laughs> so what you should really say is that your accent is different from mine. Well, right. we all have accents, yeah. And they had a draw. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I was like, what are they saying? <laughs> if if I could turn on the closed captioning and some of the conversations I would have, especially when I first got there, I was like, I don't know what anyone is saying. <laughs> like, they don't say dog, they say Doug. I was like, Doug? Okay, I don't. Right. It took me some time. Um, nice people, though, nice people. But yeah, they... It wasn't, it never felt like, this is safe. I live in a really safe city. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's still on a swivel. You know what I mean? Like I lived in downtown, mm -hmm. like right where the courthouses were, you know, the Sean. And I used to hear gunfire at night sometimes, depending like, because you also hear the echo. Yeah. Helicopters overhead, foxtrot looking for people. I'm not saying it happened all the time, but it happened enough. I was aware, you know. Um, the street I lived on was still fairly near to a lot of criminal activity because there was a market that was right behind my apartment. That was basically a drug market, an open-air drug market. It wasn't a clean, safe America everybody thinks when they think about no, leaving. No, 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 no. People are living very interesting realities in the States. As I said, I was not in that sanitary mm -hmm. utopia, suburbia, where people are jogging. Um, with their ponytails swinging from side to side down the sidewalk at all hours of whenever they feel like. There were parts of Maryland and Baltimore that were like that for sure, mm -hmm. especially Baltimore. There are parts of Baltimore that are like But the other areas were not like that. In fact, some of them, I remember going into an era one time, I was like, it felt like the clouds got darker as I passed a certain part of the street. <laughs> I couldn't even explain. It felt ominous. It felt, I don't know. And then, because those areas are so, I guess they have so much crime, they have blue lights, mm -hmm. which are cameras yeah. that they set up in those areas and they have literal blue lights on the top. Mm -hmm. So I guess to tell people, indicate we're watched. watching you. Yeah. So when you drive through these neighborhoods and see all these blue lights flashing, it was just like, so I'm in a very dangerous area and I'm driving, driving, driving. I'm not out of it yet. You know what I mean? And that took up a lot of the city, these blue light areas. So it, yeah, I was never all, like fully comfortable, mm -hmm. but I also didn't feel scared all the time. I was just all weird. So I kind of just do that here too. Like, I don't feel like oh, Jamaica. So like I hear all people talk about it and I agree. It's random. Some of the violence, but is it really that random all the time? I think it was more random for me in Baltimore. I have a friend who moved there and she had been robbed at gunpoint two times. And she was only living there two years. She and her husband, I think in one case, her children are with her. And she was living in a very nice neighborhood. Mm. In all the years living in Jamaica, I don't think I've known, personally known somebody who has lived there a very short period of time and had so much violence inflicted yeah. upon them. Traumatic violence. So, not to say that I don't know people who have mm -hmm. 
had, right? It was just a short period yeah. in which two very significant events took place to people who, as I said, it happened in fr- like in front of their house. Yeah. Um, so that part of Jamaica didn't really and still doesn't frighten me in the same way I could understand it might if somebody is living in a very safe community that these aren't things that they think about. Like I'll give an example. I have a friend. She's like, oh, when I'm in Florida, I don't. She said, like, she lets her guard down. And I was like, I never let my guard down. Like, I don't care where I am. Yeah. Have you seen the mushrooms? Yep. Okay. Yep. So to me, being in the States, I never feel like there's this place that everything goes well in now. Anything is possible anywhere. Right. And as much as I've, as I said, I was a prosecutor, so I would watch black men, unfortunately, in chains, day in and out. Um, very sad reality to watch. I still think that, you know, we paint them as being this aggressive, you know, constantly, um, I don't know, like a predator in society. But I think going back to what you said about mental health, they bottle up a lot. They have to deal with a lot. Mm-hmm. They're in, you had one experience, right? The cops stopped you. You leave on the plane, you're out. Yep. They have been in that for generations. Um, so you're talking about trauma that's been inflicted upon them for generations. Yeah. How they shape their identity, not just as a man, but as a black man in that society. The, the options that they have um, and just how they're seen. You know what I mean? Like you internalize that, you know. You do. If somebody treats you a certain way, as much as you want to say, I'm not who they say I am, after a while, you can become who they say yeah. you are, you know. Even out of sheer anger. Yeah, it impacts you. Yes, it does. Nevertheless, I wanted to come back to this point. I never let my guard down in the States. I also equally look at white men with a set. <laughs> And also look at them and think to myself, you are also potential mm-hmm. predators because when I look at those who commit my shootings, primarily they are you. Yeah. And I don't care if you have on the nicest polo shirt and look decent and nobody, I just keep my guard up. Because as far as I'm concerned, anything can happen. Yeah. Right? In Jamaica, I don't feel the same way, strangely yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't feel like I'm unsafe in the movie theater. Or, you know, I'm sitting down or I'm in a supermarket and anything could happen to me. I don't feel that way. Do people get robbed? Sometimes they do. But do I think that we could all potentially be taken out by an assault rifle at La Shushan? No, I don't. I don't worry about that because yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Nene, I just don't. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> affected by the crime the same way as the other people are. I'm yeah. just, I'm aware. I try not to be out late at night by myself. You try, and if you're driving home by yourself, you watch to see yeah, if anybody's following you. you. You know, red lights are merely suggestions after a certain time. You look both ways and you keep it rolling. You don't need to be sit- sitting there like a sitting dog, let's be honest. But other than that, you know, I just try and, as I said, just be alert. But I don't live in a state of constant yeah. paranoia, you know. 
I read the news and I could see why someone might feel that way. Definitely, yeah. It's it's scary. If you, I mean, again, these are obviously all serious things happening. Very. Um, but for your own mental health, if you sit and consume it all day, every day, it will impact you negatively. You're gonna, you just be in tears yeah. all day long. Yeah. I mean, that most recent case where those children were killed and the woman, and it turns out it's a family member. Yeah. Who, that was probably a mental health yeah, issue. Of course. 100%. Huge mental health. So. I mean, there's something happening in Jamaica. I can't quite put my finger on. And I don't know if it's spiritual. But, I mean, it's just gangs and whatever. But we're recklessly violent. That's the right word. Recklessly violent. It's it's scary. I'm not going to say it's not. It it's is very scary. scary. Like, there are shootouts in the middle of the day. I think that we <laughs> definitely need to start pouring some love, some attention into into these neighborhoods. Unfortunately, it's the men who are doing it. So we just pour some love attention into the men themselves. They need help. And we just find ways to help them before they they need to they let it out. They probably need to let it out in a constructive way. And I should have been crying for a long time. Yeah. A lot of crying bottle up. Yeah man. A lot of hurt. 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 You see that thing called pain? Yeah. Pain is like cancer. Yeah. Like it it literally eats at you. And it turns into something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It turns into something that you can't fight because you don't know how to get rid of it. You know, and you live your life defined by it. Yeah. And people, especially people in depressed neighborhoods, who I've seen a lot, seen too over much and over and over. From they were too young to even understand yeah. it. You know, you under like you lose a friend. No. It's like horrible. It's the most horrible thing that ever happened to you. Mm-hmm. You imagine somebody losing a friend once a year to gun violence and them are hold them under. It's like PTSD. They're literally in war zones. What soldiers go through, these young through. men are going through. You know, so the amount of drugs they might take to numb their minds to what's going on, you know, it's all for me understandable. But I think we don't really acknowledge it. Like, the severity of what is happening yeah. like as far as i'm concerned you know we are beyond the crisis mode beyond agreed you know and i'm saying state of emergency we are a country that needs to be placed yeah under a state of emergency if you think about it as i said um child condoned though on tv you see the mother the aunt the sister so and so crying but you don't see any men crying because they know have to be told, you know, need to go on exact revenge. Ah, so that's they how they work out their feelings, right. the vengeance, the vengeance. So they get no opportunity to release that pain in no. a constructive way. Process it, or yeah. even process it. As you said, for them, it's like when I kill the person who killed them, yeah. that's when I will feel some sense of relief. It, it, it doesn't make them And it's a relief. sad cycle yeah. because then somebody coming after them right after yeah. them. It's insidious. Um, yeah, it's sad. And as because you see it in so many places that have a similar, you know, some of the similar economic issues mm-hmm. and issue, issues with education and access to good education and access to even good food. You'd be surprised. Yeah. Good food has a huge impact on your yeah. mental state and how you... Nutrition. And how you develop your mind. Um... It's funny, we're talking today and we're talking about emotional intelligence. And this man was saying it needs to be taught in schools. 
Like literally, we need to teach not just conflict resolution, but it needs to be taught in schools. Yeah. How do we deal with how we feel and how we express it interpersonal relationships so that it doesn't always turn into you take up a chair, you box down a man. You, or, you know what I mean? Like when you see these fights, when you see them online, when the videos go yeah. around and you're like, yo, this is happening in high schools yeah. in Jamaica where somebody's picking up a whole desk, <laughs> a whole desk. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because I talked to Ray about what his high school experience yeah. was like. And I talked to other guys who are younger now. And when I hear about the amount of violence that they come across, like, I said, this is normal in the boys' schools. It's, it's, yes, it's unfortunate. I, like how them stab up boys who are rival, from rival schools during yeah. um, champs. Yeah. So I said to me, so I said, so you take a weapon, you are fashioned out of a T-square and mm. stab me in my mm. tie. How is that going to affect the race outcome? In the next couple of months. I'm not a runner. I remember <laughs> at Wilmers, whenever there's a football match going on, other other schools will come. The air felt tense. Right, like anything could tense. happen. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Like anything, anything could happen. Anything could happen. Anything bad. There was a boy who came once. It was I don't know what the situation was, but he came, impersonated a Wilmers boy, put on his put on a Wilmers tie, came into box somewhere, some something like that. Yeah. So he he so basically he did like a Trojan horse. A Trojan horse. Pretended to be the entire school beat him. The he entire he he the entire school beat him. At the end of the day, it's, I mean, obviously we're all, we're all, we're all laughing. I still laugh about it now. Right. But that's actually not funny. Right. <laughs> and for it's, boys, though, that's yeah, normal behavior. And, and the violence. You don't realize that these type of things, it may seem small, but it does impact you. You know, and it, it, yeah, it does impact you. Look at the country. It does impact Look you. Look at the it country. It does impact you. It's magnified. Wait, and then once you have access to guns, yeah, you don't even have to feel that. I always say, you know, that um, like when you stab somebody or you slap somebody or you punch somebody, it's a very intimate fight. Yes, you know yes. what I'm saying. You feel it yourself. Yeah. You feel there. It's contact. Ah, but when you can't just shoot somebody, you don't. You barely even have to look at them. Yeah. You just have a target. Stop your gun. Watch your business. Right. You're not even incurring any pain yourself. Yeah. At least with that box, maybe your fist even hurt you after. Yeah, there's a memory of it, physical memory. Yes, and you have to get near to the person. You have to look at them. You have to feel their sweat. You have to hear their breath. There are things that make you have to know. Say, okay, the both of us are in this. Yeah. Now you're just completely removed from the violence you're committing. And before they were fine with the box up. So imagine now, even more so. You just gone down, people walk away. Yeah. You're literally... Them say how much you can charge somebody to kill somebody in Jamaica. That's some low price, you know? Yeah. Supermarket bill higher. <laughs> A lie? Yeah. Supermarket bill higher than the money that these people charge to take somebody else's life because it has no value. So it has we, no value. How do we attempt to solve that or fix it? Or? Why? I thought about that when I was at the prosecutor's office. I was like, this problem, yeah? This problem is deep. So in, I was watching a documentary and Rwanda has a, an amazing turnaround story. Really? Yes. Yeah, like, you remember how to Rwanda, other genocide, etc. Um, right now, Rwanda is becoming one of the top countries to visit in Africa. Right? Wow. And 
So there are a few laws, right? Mm -hmm. One of the laws is that if someone is prosecuted for doing a wrong, they find out why were you doing the wrong. What's your situation? And the government now helps your family to get out of the situation. So maybe you're robbing or killing because your kids have no food. Uh. So the government finds a way to ensure your kids get food. So they're, they're stemming, they're, like, they're, they're, they're suturing the blood. Yeah. They're not just putting a bandage on it. They're trying to find out what's really happening. That's interesting. And overall, like, there was this lady who, she went to school in another country. She came back and she kept on going back and forth, similar to you. Mm-hmm. And she was like, she realized that every time she Googled Rwanda, all the negative genocide stuff came up. And she was like, I'm going to fix it because she was in marketing. And she came back and she created a marketing company to show all the good stuff happening because, right. again... Change the narrative. Change the narrative. Yeah. If every time you Google Jamaica, you're seeing four men shot dead, etc., which is happening. Right. But if you, <laughs> if you change the perception of it, mm-hmm. it may change how people think about it. So you yourself may not want to do that. Again, it's not as simple as that, obviously, yeah. but... It's, it's not just one thing. It's a collective of things that you need to do oh, yeah. to change and turn the country right. in the right direction. I mean, if you think about it, right? A doctor has to diagnose you before they treat you. Mm-hmm. So they have to figure out what the source of this particular malady is mm-hmm. to treat it. And right now, the way we deal with crime is a lot of band-aids and... We're giving a lot of the medicines that stop the cough, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And stop the sneezing, but the cold is still there. Yeah. Well, that's what we try and do. And I don't think we fully understand. And to the extent that we do, I don't know if we have the will to actually um, put things in place to stop the source of mm-hmm. the infections that we have in Jamaica. And I think... I'm going to be very honest. I hope this doesn't come back to bite me. I think a lot of the problems in Jamaica are also top down. Okay? There is nobody that you can point to and say their hands are clean. And you cannot tell anybody else how to live their life or to be responsible or a good citizen when you yourself are also engaging in corrupt activities that benefit you, whether or not they're criminal or otherwise, and you've affiliated yourself with people who are known criminals because there's some benefit to be derived from that affiliation. Yeah. How are you now going to turn around and stem the tide of crime when you are party to it? You are complicit, right? You can't be the one to do it. Yeah. That is a huge problem. The police are involved in all types of shenanigans. Politicians are involved in all types of shenanigans. The people who are supposed to be enforcing laws, not just making them, but enforcing them, are themselves breaking them. So, so it's a very simple thing. Persons of a particular social background don't have access to boats and customs to carry guns in. So how are they coming in? Uh, I've heard a man say it years ago. We not make gun in Jamaica, you know? Yep. We not make gun in Jamaica, yep. but guess what? Gun is like saltfish. Yeah. <laughs> you understand? Yeah. Yeah. Saltfish don't don't come from Jamaica yeah. either. But it's not hard to get. Yeah. It's a part of our national dish. Yeah. Right? We don't <laughs> have no saltfish in Jamaica. Cod. 
Salted yes. cod is imported. Yes. Yeah. And so are the guns. Yeah. But the crime is the aki. You know what I mean? The crime we make right here. And we add it. And we make it delicious. So I have a quick question, right? Yeah. As we wrap up. Um, what would you tell 20-year-old, 30-year-old Stephanie wow. as it relates to life? What to do, what not to do, etc. Oh, wow. I wish I could actually tell her and she could in- execute it. No. <laughs> okay, this is complicated, I guess, as an answer. It's something I think about, not me telling myself, but mm-hmm. if I could change. I think it's something I've had to do is embrace my journey, even if I wasn't always proud of it. Um, you know, I believe in God. I believe that he makes plans for us and he directs us and sometimes when we are not i guess walking in his will he redirects us (laughs) and i think for a long time i could say that maybe on the surface i felt a bit lost in my early 20s like i would never want to do them again but i see so many 20 year olds now focused laser focused and they get so much further faster because they know exactly what they're about and what they want to do early i mean i hear you talking about getting your masters and basically it was in 1905 so but you see you already saw what you wanted to do you had a vision and you went after it right and for me i felt like i was always and i still am trying to figure out where i'm supposed to go rather than kind of just knowing, you know, it's almost like I'm waiting to find out. And I don't know if it's a good thing. I think it's just my thing, you know, but I think if you're a young person and you're very clear about your direction, that's a wonderful thing because you can now set up yourself and make a plan and execute that plan. And should things go off the rails, you still have the plan. So you'll go back on there. For me, I think my journey was just different and I'm more of a wanderer in a way. Maybe you see it, a nomad in some mm-hmm. sense. I think I've kind of and continued to weave all the experiences I've had together. And I think hopefully soon I'll figure out how to monetize them. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. If you enjoyed it and you want to dive into a similar What Next episode, check out the links in the podcast description or head to the whatnextpodcast.com. And remember, make it your mission to make somebody else's day better.